So in Matthew 10, from verse 1. And Jesus called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without pain, give without pay. Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff, for the labourer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it, and if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Thanks, Julia, very much. Oh, Shay is here. If I advance a bit, just turn that round so Shay can see me. Is that all right? Shay's going to see the back of my head. Sorry about that, Shay. The front's bad enough. You see the back, it's even worse. There you go. I know Shay well. That's fine. That's good. I just think I'm rather a long way away otherwise. So, look, um, I wonder if you have to say, you know, what is the mission of the church? How, what you would say the mission of the church is. I don't know if you've been watching the Laura Kunzberg documentary on post-Brexit turmoil, you know, that engulfed the nation back in 2016. I think she's called it the state of chaos. And I thought at the end of one of the episodes this week, and Nick Timothy and Fiona Hill were in the spotlight for that infamous manifesto. And uh, anyway, it's not quite as simple as, uh, as, as, uh, as you can imagine as the media made out. It was interesting to listen to, but a, a party with a model manifesto is going to fail. And I guess a business with no clear vision will fall ultimately, and a, a, a military campaign with no clear objective will falter. So, what is the mission of the church? And I have to say, from its own messaging, you know, we might say that uh, things are a little murky. Is the church's mission to save the planet? Is it to ensure equitable distribution of wealth? Is it to advance the cause of the disenfranchised? What is the mission of the church? Now, over these next few weeks, we're going to be exploring and examining precisely that, the mission of the church. And I think it's a key project. The sum total of Christians in the world is around about 2.38 billion. The percentage of those in the UK who call themselves Christian is about 46%. The percentage of those who go to church, 
regularly, it is 5%. Don't you think even if 2.5% of the people working in what we um, broadly call the city, about 600,000 people, even if just 2.5%, my maths makes that about 15,000. Imagine if every single one of them were to come in to work each day, this is the mission. I think it's a really helpful place for us to be if we, as, as we kind of kickstart things at the beginning, the beginning of an academic year. Technically speaking, I don't think it's accurate, actually, to talk about the mission of the church. Jesus sends disciples to the church to gather to God. That's what the end point is. And so we're asking, you know, what is the Christian's mission? You might say, what is my mission? What is your mission? Uh, as you um, come into work or at home and so forth. Now, the study passage is Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, through to the end of 10. We're going to be looking at this very specifically as Jesus, first of all, prays for and then commissions laborers for the harvest field. And verse 36 and 37 and 38 are absolutely key. When Jesus saw uh, chapter 9, just up uh, before chapter 10 then, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Now, I love that about him. Then when he looks out on the vast crowd of people swarming into the city, if you like, his immediate response is compassion. Uh, it's so different to my immediate response. You, know, you see people at the airport or coming across the bridge, somebody gets in your way, and I'm much more kind of afraid. You, know, you can judge me for it. Kind of finger-wagging, high moral ground, daily mail type of person. And, uh, you know, and I'm, I feel ashamed of that. Jesus looks at people. And it's, the word comes from the, the gut. If you were in the first century Israel, you felt things in the gut. He was, you might say, gutted. As he looked out on them, because they're like sheep without a shepherd. The shepherd in the Bible is the picture of God's ruler, God's king. Saying, who's looking after these people? Not a very complimentary um, comparison between us and calling us sheep. And when you think about it, any sheep farm will tell you they're the most stupid beast on the farm. And they're also profoundly vulnerable. Uh, and without clear spiritual moral direction, Jesus announces that we are like sheep without a shepherd. Now, his response then is the prayer of verse 37. The harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Literally, the word is ekbalo, out throw, to thrust out laborers into the harvest field. And so Jesus' analysis is that actually there is a plentiful harvest. Whatever it may feel like in your particular corner, there is a plentiful harvest. What's lacking is laborers. And so he asks his disciples to pray with real urgency. And if you're a Christian person, I don't know some of you, if you are a Christian person, this will be fundamental to our life together. We pray earnestly, knowing that there is a Lord of the harvest, that he has said the harvest is plentiful, but what's lacking is laborers and for those of us who are christian we look around and think too bright too bright i just came in through top of court um tube station 
boy, is that trendy. We don't have anything quite like that up in the square mile, do we? Uh, sort of a bit more kind of all the stuff up there. Um, but where are the labels? Where are the labels? Now, the first thing Jesus then does is to call to himself his 12 disciples and give them authority over the unclean spirits. And I want to suggest that the foundation of the mission lies in the apostles, these 12 individuals. And then we'll just touch on the essence of the mission, the offer of the mission, and the seriousness of it. But the foundation is these 12 apostles. So you can see from that first verse, he called to him his 12 disciples, gave him authority of unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are, so the number is key, the names are key. The tenses are interesting. He called his 12 disciples, past tense, their names are. Obviously, Matthew, when he wrote this down, thought it's really important. We know exactly who these figures are. The number, the title, the names. 12 tribes of Israel, and if you know that, uh, that's kind of where God made plain what he was going to do in sending his king. This is connected. It's actually a pretty confrontational thing to do in Israel to choose 12 and almost, as it were, to be replacing the 12 tribes of Israel with these foundational 12 figures. That just on its own is a pretty bold thing for the Lord Jesus to do. But if that is the case and they're foundational, the names are absolutely key. You sometimes come across people saying, well, there's inconsistency in the names. There is. In Luke's gospel, you don't have this individual, Thaddeus. And in Luke's gospel, you do have a second Judas, Judas, the son of James. But then when you stop and think about it, you know, if your name is Judas, given that Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus, it's highly probable that you would have chosen after the betrayal of Jesus to use your middle name or an additional name. And we know that in the first century, people did have a variety of different names. They nicknames, um, they might have an Aramaic name and a Greek name or a Greek name and a Latin name. You know, we have it very today with our Asian friends. My name is Jajon. You can call me David. Uh, we've got a guy at St. Ellen's like that. I call him Jajon, but uh, that probably means something completely different because I don't understand the tones in Mandarin at all. But we know exactly. And the other thing you notice from 12 here, how deliberate it is. So there's something called technically disambiguation. And it's quite simply to make sure you don't get muddled up when there are a lot of people with the same name. And that, for example, Simon was a very common name. And so Matthew says, Simon, who is called Peter, and Simon, the Canaanian. And Matthew says, by the way, Matthew, the tax collector, that's because he's the one who's writing this. He wants everybody to be clear exactly who he is. Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus, James, the son of Jebedee, James, another common name. So just by the way it's written, you can see it really matters who these 12 are. Crucial to note, says one key writer, Professor Richard Bauckham, that these 12 were disciples of Jesus, the teacher, appointed in the first place to be with him, to learn from both his teaching and his company, and therefore qualified for the mission of continuing the mission. 
Harvest is plentiful, but laborers are few. Jesus has compassion in this vast swarm of lost people and pray earnestly for the Lord of the harvest to thrust out laborers. And it all begins with these 12. Judas Iscariot gets replaced by Matthias. You can read about that at the beginning of the book of Acts. But the rest of the New Testament makes it very clear that these guys are foundational. Ephesians chapter 2, built on the foundation of the apostles. The book of Revelation, the 12 foundations of the city had on them the 12 names of the 12 apostles. And so when it comes to the mission of the church, the mission of the church is founded on the apostles. And if anybody so much as, as a friend of mine, an Australian friend, said, used to say, it's any so much as puts a cigarette paper between the apostolic teaching and their understanding of their mission, immediately you know, they've gone on course. I always think if, if you are not prepared to accept the teaching of the apostles and want to be on mission for Jesus, well, it's a, it's a little bit like somebody coming for an interview as a banker and saying, well, I don't really believe in currency. Or standing to be president of the United States and saying, well, I don't really believe in the Constitution or democracy. Now, it's founded, you may think that's slightly close to the truth, but it's founded, it's founded on the authority of these 12 apostles. But then you say to yourself, okay, so what is the essence of this mission? And the essence of the mission is there in verses 5 through 10. He sent them out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles, enter no town of the Samaritans, go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons, you receive without pay, give without pay, acquire no gold, no silver, no copper for your belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staff, for the labor deserves his, his, uh, his, his food. It's just worth pointing out that there is a specificity to this. It's a particular moment in time. They are sent initially only to the geographical area of Israel because Jesus is coming into Israel that has been prepared to receive God's king and they therefore ought to be first to hear the message and they ought to receive the messengers. Hence, don't take a bag, don't take a second tunic, don't take food, because the Jews should have received their king. I think that strengthens things, that actually everything is done in order, and these 12 are sent first to the nation of Israel. You, you remember when Paul goes out to the uh, country of the world, he always goes first to the synagogue. There is, if you like, as a friend of mine put it, a pecking order to this. But once Israel have rejected the king, then the mission gets spread much further. Also, they are given specific powers to do specific signs at this specific moment. Because Jesus is, if you like, showcasing the kingdom. And so every disease, every sickness, cast out demons, the physical aspect of the kingdom of God are now evident in Israel in the first century. Want to know what heaven is like? 
read the Gospels. If we'd been there, we wouldn't be able to see a snapshot, a trailer, if you like, of what heaven's going to be like. Jesus is physically present. The, the physical realities of the kingdom are present. Like I like to say, there was a time when there was no siren to be heard in Israel. The NHS waiting, the NHS waiting lists had all been done away with. The budget was nil. Uh, there was no calm. There were no tears. There was no mourning. Because Jesus' kingdom, like a, a thunderbolt, had broken into this world. And these people sent out to declare it at this unique moment in time. But there is much of this mission that is not unique. And so you see there the urgent announcement. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that, that is the mission that disciples are sent on to herald the imminence of Jesus' kingdom rule. He's arrived. He's demonstrated his kingdom. It's a real thing. God's promises have been fulfilled. That's the essence of the mission. Well, then, finally, I think we'll just touch on this. I, I'm not going to spend long on it because our time is basically gone. But uh, uh, finally, then, um, what is the offer? And the offer is there in verse 11. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy. Stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. If it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. You have to say, what is this peace that the apostles are offering it can't be relational peace in the first instance because as you're going to see next week and, and the week after the week after jesus makes it very clear don't think i've come to bring peace i've not come to bring peace but a sword i will set a daughter against her mother a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and that's exactly what you find happening when a person becomes a christian new priorities uh, new behavior, new way of living, and it brings friction even into the heart of families. Some of us will experience that. So that these are, in the first instance, be this kind of, or, or, or this kind of inner sense of relational serenity. Um, nor international end of all war at this stage because later in the gospel jesus says you will hear rumors of war and of wars nation fighting against nation what is this peace? it has the that as we announce the arrival of the kingdom of heaven we are able to say if you turn to the king there is peace the word is shalom you can have membership. You can belong. And if you remember when John the Baptist came, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus first came, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn around and you can receive the peace of God that passes all understand. Membership in the kingdom, part of his family, children of the living God. Well, so there's the mission. I mean, we're going to spend the next five weeks, I think, unpacking this as we go into uh, Jesus's uh, teaching on it. And, and next, you know, we're going to see the terms. If you just look at verse 16, a little bit of a trailer. Behold, I'm sending you out a sheep in the midst of wolves. But you see how serious it is, this mission that we're sent on 
from verse 14, if anyone will not listen to you or receive you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the town of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. So rejecting this offer of peace with the living God, given the kingdom of heaven as a hand, well, it could not be more serious 